Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our assistant pastor, Matt Kaler. Hey, Calvary Monterey. It is so good to be with you today. My name is Matt Kaler. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new to our church, I, I want to meet you sometime in the future, and I look forward to doing that. But I am so thankful to be able to present God's Word today. And I've got a passage here that um, is near and dear to my heart, and I believe is um, a word that the Lord wants to encourage us with, with the times that we're facing right now. So Psalm 27 is where we're going to be today. So if you turn there in your Bibles, that would be great. And I'd like to just pray and open up our time uh, in the Word. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of coming before you, um, Lord, reading, studying, and applying your word to our lives and the situations that we face. So Lord, would you meet with us now? God, would you bless your word as we get to, um, Lord, seek your heart, your face, your plans for our lives, Lord. So we commit this time to you and we pray your blessing on it now in Jesus' name, amen. The great American poet John Wayne once said that courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. One of the most common phrases repeated in the Bible are the words, fear not. In fact, it's been noted that this phrase appears some 365 times in the Bible. We could say that that's one promise to not fear for every day of the year. I think it's clear that this is something the Lord wants us to be encouraged by. The truth is we all need encouragement, don't we? Because we all face moments in life through our current circumstances or the uncertainty of the future where we lack courage and confidence. One of my favorite definitions of encouragement is to pour courage in. Do you have people in your life that do that for you, that pour courage into your heart? Isn't that amazing? Aren't those people so great? Aren't you grateful for them? A timely word of encouragement can bring us out of despair and keep us from sinking deeper and deeper into fear and doubt. And this is what Psalm 27 is meant to do. It's a word of encouragement for uncertain times. By looking at David's life, his experience, and all that he faced, I believe there are four things that we can learn that marked his life and gave him the courage to face uncertain times. Because we are facing certain times, and my hope for us by reading through this and by studying this passage is that the Lord would pour courage into our hearts for the days that we're living in. So the first thing I want us to look at, verses one through three, we find David's confidence in God. David's confidence in God. Let's read verses one through three. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Now, David is experiencing a lot of things from the get-go in this passage. David isn't facing something small or um, something uh, insignificant. In fact, he describes what he's facing in these ways. He talks about evildoers that assail him, that want to eat up his flesh, adversaries and foes, the, an army that encamps against him and war that rises up against him. These are significant struggles, significant 
oppositions that David is facing. Now, we don't know what period of time this is uh, for David. And, and in fact, um, David doesn't tell us at the beginning of the psalm. In other psalms that David writes, he describes the situation or the circumstance in which he's writing. But for this one, we don't know. But man, there are so many different times in David's life that he could be describing. Because the truth is, there were so many times of David's life where he faced uh, conflict or chaos or uncertainty. Whether it was from his father-in-law, Saul, trying to pursue him and kill him. His, his own son, Absalom, betraying him and wanting to seize his throne. Uh, the, the, the giant Goliath, who was blaspheming his God or civil unrest in the, in the uh, nation that he was ruling. There were so many moments of David's life that could be described by this passage. But I think it's interesting that he doesn't tell us. And maybe that's because if we were to know exactly his circumstances, it could be easy for us to say, well, that's what David experienced. I'm not experiencing that. And so maybe this doesn't apply to me as much. But to leave it open, we, we can see, man, David went through some serious things, some hard things. And the things that we're facing are not insignificant. The things that we're, we've been facing in 2020, even the last five months, these are things that present for us lots of trouble, lots of difficulty. We, we see for David, even though we may not be facing the exact type of situations he found himself in, we can relate to what he was feeling. And it's clear in these first three verses that there's fear from within and there's opposition from without. Someone has said that fear is the wrong use of imagination. Our imagination can take us many different places, can it? <laughs> For David, his fear came from his very real opposition that he was facing. The fears of what could happen. For us, our fears come from the realities that we face day in and day out. Maybe it's what we're facing in this age, this season with COVID and, and the many different things that that presents for us. It could be the fear of uh, looming sickness or uh, income uh, revenue being uh, uh, stopped, or it could be loved ones that um, we uh, fear becoming sick. There are so many different things that we could fear that are just right before us, but we could also fear the things that we just don't even know. The, the, the worst case scenarios, are you a worst case scenario type of person? For others, fear is based off of maybe it's the opposition outside. It's the, the groups or the people that oppose us and what those people could do to us or the things we value. David is facing this opposition, but what does he do? How does he face this opposition? Notice first what he doesn't do. David doesn't ignore his feelings or try to minimize his situation. He doesn't say, oh, it's not a big deal. Everything's going to work out in the end. We're going to be fine. Uh, my seven-year-old Canon, uh, I just love the stage that he's in because he's so inquisitive right now. And uh, we'll be watching a movie or reading a book. And he always wants to find out the reasons behind what the characters did. So he's always asking the question, why? So why, Dad, did they do that? Why did that happen? Do you think that this is why? And I love that he's asking that question. And I, I think for Canon, if he was to read this and get to the end where David says in verse 3, yet I will be confident. I, I think he would ask, why are you confident, David, when you're facing so many different things? You're facing this opposition. You're facing uh, this enemy that's out there. And I think we can answer that question by looking at those first few, few verses that David says here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? How did David face fear and opposition? Why was he able to say, I am confident? Because his confidence was not in what he could see. His confidence was in God. His confidence was in God. You see, as Christians, 
We aren't led by what we can see. We are led by our faith and trust in the God who sees everything. How can we find courage in uncertain times? By placing our confidence in God, just like David did. How was he able to be confident? He knew his maker. He knew his God. His confidence was not based on disconnected ideas or inexperienced truth. He's not reposting, so to speak, what someone else has known or experienced. He discovered the truth of God for himself firsthand. And friends, this is what we must do in times of uncertainty. We must discover who God is for ourselves, to trust in the promises and character of God. Notice he says, the Lord is my light, my salvation, the strength of my life. He didn't say the Lord is light, the Lord is salvation, the Lord is strength. I mean, that would be true enough, but David personalizes it. He said, I've experienced the light of God. He shines in my darkness. He illuminates the dark areas of my life. The Lord is light. He says, the Lord is my salvation. That speaks to the fact that he knew God was his ultimate deliverer and rescuer. And the beauty of this is for us New Testament Christians, we understand that salvation came through the person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So we can even more so say the Lord is our salvation. And finally, he says, the Lord is the strength of my life. When I feel like giving up, tapping out, saying I'm done, I find my strength in the Lord. And for us, we know that the strength comes through the Holy Spirit who indwells in us. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. You see, for David, the truth of who God was produced a confidence. It produced a trust in the Lord. This confidence allowed him to not be overwhelmed by the things that were happening around him. Instead, he stood on the true, unchanging character of God. It's also clear to me in the situation that David's confidence wasn't going to come by simply defeating his enemies or winning a war. He doesn't even talk about it. He doesn't even ask God to defeat his enemies in this passage. Now, there are other Psalms where he does that in plenty. But for this one, I think it shows us that his courage needed to come not from his enemies' defeat, but from something more sure, secure, and dependable. And friends, that's true of us. That our victory is not found in the wars and the battles that we fight in this human realm. It's found in the fact that we have a God who is there, a God who is strong, a God who has ultimately defeated our greatest enemy, Satan's sin and death. So what aspects of God's character are you holding up during this time? Where in your life have you seen God's faithfulness and where can you say the Lord is my? Whatever that is, fill in that blank, but I encourage you, find your confidence in God. That's how we find courage in uncertain times. But also, we go on, verses four through six, we see not only his confidence in God, we see his devotion to God. He says in verse four, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high up on a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing praise and make melody to the Lord. So David continues to describe his situation in these verses and what he's facing. I don't know if you noticed, but he describes his situation this way. He says, the day of trouble, the enemies all around me. I don't know if these things sound familiar to you, but it kind of sounds like David's describing a pandemic, huh? Trouble, feeling surrounded. Um, and that's why I think this psalm is so applicable to our current situation that we are facing. David's facing real trouble and trials. And you know what? The true 
thing, the same thing can be said of us. We are facing real trouble, real trials. These aren't esoteric ideas, you know, we're not uh, disconnected from reality. We know that there are things before us and things outside that we are facing that are difficult. People are asking questions every day, it seems like, when will it end? When will we, uh, things change? When we can go back to normal? When will we defeat this virus? When will the day of trouble be done? Friends, let's see how David was able to find courage to face the trouble and trials that were before him. When David faced trouble and trial, he made it his aim to pursue a deeper devotion to God. Notice that phrase. I love this. Those two words in verse four, one thing. You could do a study on your own of the one thing passages of scripture. There's multiple passages. I love that because, you know, when someone's trying to teach you something or someone's trying to give you instruction on how to use a thing, um, maybe you're watching a YouTube tutorial or something, or if you break something in your house, most of the time for me, it's going on and seeing how do I fix the thing that I just broke and trying to fix it. Um, but the idea is that when somebody says, you know, if you don't remember anything else from this, remember this one thing. I love that. My ears perk up. I'm like, okay, give me this. I don't want to forget this. And David's saying, hey, if you don't remember anything else, remember this one thing. This is the one thing that I've desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. David says it's so important and necessary in times of uncertainty to seek God first. What does David and his pursuit of God look like? He talks about dwelling in the house of the Lord, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, inquiring in his temple presenting offering in the tabernacle, worshiping him in song. You see what David is doing for his time and his situation where the presence of God and the house of God was relegated most, like, relegated most likely at this time to the tabernacle. David's saying, I'm not there and I want to be with God. I want to experience his presence. I want to find the peace in his presence. I want to worship him in his beauty that, that surrounds me. David is wanting to go to that place. The, the beauty of where we live today, friends and Christians, is that the presence of God indwells us by his Holy Spirit. So for David, he's seeking God. He's de desiring deeper devotion with God. And the truth can be said of us in times of uncertainty that we need to seek a deeper devotion with God. David wants to be with the Lord. Ultimately, what I see is David wants and desires the presence of God more than the absence of trouble. Let me say that again. David desires the presence of God more than the absence of trouble. I've heard someone say it this way. Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. David discovered something. Peace is not found in the absence of trouble. It's found in the presence of God. Look at the result of David seeking after God and a devotion to God. He says, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up. Seeking after God allows our gaze to be lifted off our circumstances and the things we can't control upon the Lord and his sovereign rule in our lives. Now this, as they say, is easier said than done. But the more that we set our attention and our aim and our focus to the Lord, the, the, the truth is, James 4, 8, the more we draw near to him, he draws near to us because we see him in his glory. And then we're changed, we're transformed. Our circumstances, they may not change, but our perspective on those circumstances do. So how do we seek after God more? What does this look like? Well, the Puritans had a way of thinking about this. They would say there's two ways that we can do this. The first is what they called vivification. 
That's kind of a tongue twister, but it's, uh, it's really to say, identify those things in your life that increase your affections and trust for God. Vivification is a, is a way to pursue God by identifying things that increase your affections and trust for God. For many, uh, this would absolutely include reading and meditating upon scripture, prayer, worship and song and enjoying hymns and worship choruses that remind us of the faithfulness and goodness of God, reading books on the Christian life and how we can grow in our understanding of who Christ is and who we are as his children. This also includes things like physical exercise for some healthy eating, spiritual conversations with another person, or maybe simply just going on a walk, getting outside and doing something. Gardening is another way that we can connect deeper to the Lord as we discover creation and his beauty and his design and his purpose. So that's vivification. Friends, I, I encourage you, identify those things that increase your affections for Jesus and pursue those. And at the same time, as Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 would say, as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we should also lay aside the weights and the sins or snares that easily beset us. And so there's this idea of as much as we want to pursue those good things in our life, there's also things that we want to identify that we want to see what are the things that decrease our affections and trust for Jesus. So this is called mortification. So things maybe in this day could be media. Maybe it's pulling back, scaling back from things like cable news or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, maybe too much Netflix. <laughs> uh, notice I didn't just say Netflix, but maybe too much Netflix. Um, maybe for you, some things that decrease your affections for Jesus are just inactivity or laziness or um, sleeping in. Uh, maybe it's unhealthy eating. It's identifying those things and saying, man, I want to pursue the Lord. I want to grow in deep devotion to him. So I don't want to just find those things that are going to aid that. I want to find those things that will keep me from that. Those snares, those weights. Notice that these aren't necessarily sin, but they're just things that are going to weigh you down as you run your race and as you pursue Jesus. Some of you need to hear this though. The ultimate goal in this is not progress. The goal is presence, to experience the presence of God in a greater degree, because I think that's when we're really transformed and changed. And I think that's where we see progress happen. This is the beauty of what Jesus promised us. We don't strive for more of the Holy Spirit. We, we have to be willing and just receive him as a gift. And that's what Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He go later on to say in John 15, when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. You see, that's what the spirit does. He brings the peace of Christ. He brings the truth of who Christ is to a greater understanding degree in our understanding, in our minds, in our hearts. We're offered this real peace for times of trouble this peace that can only be found in the presence of God. And the more we pursue a devotion to Christ, the more we will fill our minds with the truth of his goodness and his grace. And this is what the Lord has given us as a daily reality and experience. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You see, for David, the result of seeking after God was that he would experience the protection, peace, and safety of hiding in the Lord. So let's find our shelter in God. Find your presence in God when facing trouble and trial. So number one, we see David's confidence in God. Number two, we see his devotion to God. And number three, I believe David found courage to face uncertain times because he remained desperate for 
God. Let's look at his desperation for God in verse 7 through 10. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn your servant away in anger. Turn not your servant away in anger. Excuse me. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Desperation has been defined as being vigorous in action, reckless of consequences. It's throwing yourself completely at the mercy of another. Of another. The psalm takes a turn in these verses as we see David's desperation. It seems that the settledness that he had exhibited early on in the psalm is being tested by the circumstances and emotions he's feeling. It appears that David's struggling with the notion that God has gone quiet. God is distant. God is removed. David's experiencing one of the hardest things for any Christian to feel. Loneliness, isolation, and feelings of abandonment. Loneliness and isolation have been described as walking around in a wilderness, wandering around with no end in sight. And maybe some of you feel that. For some, maybe loneliness has been a struggle way before COVID-19, but sheltering in place, social distancing, those things have just amplified those feelings. How does this psalm speak into that kind of situation? Well, I want you to notice first what David doesn't do. In his desperation, he doesn't dress up or minimize what he's experiencing. He doesn't have to hide or mask it for the Lord. He's being honest and vulnerable before God about what he's experiencing and what he's feeling. It's clear that David feels that he has no one else to rely on and nowhere else to turn. He is desperate, but he takes that desperation to the Lord. And friends, this is so important because we live in a world that wants your desperation. We live in a world that holds out so many different things that says, this will satisfy your desperation. This will satisfy your loneliness. This will satisfy your isolation. And as we know, those things only leave us wanting more. But the Psalms show us a deep intimacy and closeness that we can have with God. Our God wants us to cry out to him in desperation. He wants us to bear our hearts and souls before him because it's only then that we can gain the perspective needed to walk forward in the path that he's charted for us. So first of all, David, he doesn't minimize what he's feeling or hide it. Secondly, even though David doesn't feel the Lord in this moment, he reminds himself of his past experiences when he did feel and experience God. Notice he says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. You have been my help, he says. He's speaking about the past. Those moments when God feels distant or silent in our lives, think back on who he has been to you and what he has done, because the truth is we so easily forget, don't we? David is reminding himself in these verses of God's past faithfulness, past faithfulness, and he's using that to ask for God's future help. Third, David sees even the closest of human relationships in our life are prone to change. At the end of or at, at verse 10, he says, my father and my mother have forsaken me. Mm. For some of you, this isn't 
a disconnected verse. This is true, and you feel this deeply. Maybe even in this time, you felt even more separated from family, forsaken from family. Maybe because of the decisions that you have made, maybe there are those that are putting their arms at, uh, uh, you know, their, their arms length, and they're saying, no, we're, we're not going to um, continue to meet with you, talk to you, or whatever it may be. And so a verse like this resonates in your heart. But what does David say at the end of that verse? But the Lord will take me in. David sees the closest human relationships in this world are prone to change, are prone to crumble. But he says in contrast, the Lord will take me in. Another translation puts it this way. The Lord will take care of me. Isn't this what David is really asking and desperate for? That that God would show him that he cares. The beauty of the gospel for us that question and wonder, does God care for me right now? For whatever you're facing, the, the financial woes, maybe it's the, the, the health issues, maybe it is the separation, the loneliness, the anxiety. The question comes into our minds, God, why? God, do you care? The beauty of the gospel is that in Christ, we don't have to wonder if God cares. He shows us that he did so much so that he entered our world. One of the names that Jesus was given is Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. God came into our world. Jesus embraced humanity. And on the cross, Jesus took on suffering, isolation, loneliness, and was ultimately forsaken so that we could be brought in. Because of Jesus, we know that God cares. Because of the cross, we can say with a resounding amen, the Lord will take me in. This becomes the basis for finding contentment in whatever situation we find ourselves in. As Hebrews 13, 5 says, be content with what you have because that's a reason word. Why can we be content? Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The presence of God, the God with us is the reason and the assurance that we have to be content in this life to say, it's okay. I'm all right. I'm going to make it. Friends, the truth is God does care for you. In your loneliness and isolation, cry out to him in desperation. Seek him because he's invited you to do that. And remember, he's the only one who will not ever abandon you. Finally, the fourth thing that marked David's life and gave him courage. First, we see his confidence in God. We see his devotion to God. Third, we see his desperation for God. And last, we see his trust in the goodness of God his trust in the goodness of God. Look at verses 11 through 14 as we close. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I can't tell you how encouraging these last few verses, specifically verse 13 and 14, have been for me and my wife as we have faced uncertain times in our marriage the last 12 years or so. To not know what was going to happen or what could and to think of all of the what ifs or worst case scenarios. It was at that time that the Lord brought us to this passage. Because I think oftentimes we want to figure things out. We want to have the answers. We want to know. And as long as I can know that there's an end, as long as I can know that things will get better, then I will trust. But that's not what David is saying. He's saying, wait upon the Lord. 
Don't operate, don't have God operate on your timeline, operate on his. There's a phrase that doesn't appear in the ESV translation, but I love the way it sums up this whole chapter. It's at the beginning of verse 13. David says, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I think that's what this psalmist is trying to keep us from, losing heart, giving up, throwing in the towel. He knows the danger of discouragement in our lives. There's a story that it was once advertised that the devil was putting up for sale all of his tools. On that date, the tools were laid out. They had prices marked on them for public inspection. And there were a lot of treacherous instruments, hatred, envy, jealousy, deceit, pride, lying, lust, and so on. Laid apart from the rest of the devil's tools was a tool, but it was worn more than any of the others and was priced very high. What's the name of this tool? Asked one of the customers. That, the devil replied, is discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Because discouragement is more useful to me than all the others. I can pry open and get inside a man's heart with that when I cannot get near him with any other tools. It's badly worn because I use it on almost everyone since so few people know it belongs to me. I think for those of us that are reading this passage, discouragement is no stranger to us, especially in seasons like this. Maybe discouragement for you has come from being separated from people, from facing that financial loss or struggle. Maybe the close confines of family and marriage have shown the cracks and weaknesses that have always been there, but now you're seeing them for what they really are and you're discouraged. But in the face of discouragement, what can we do? Trust and believe in the goodness of our God. Because there's a narrative that's going around today that says God is good for some, but not all. The life that God calls us to is not easy, but it is good because he is good. And we have to counter those narratives that say God's goodness may be for those or that person or that group, but not for these people or this group or for your experience. We need to trust as David did and look and say, God, you are good. I believe even when I can't see what you are doing, even when I don't know what's happening, I believe that you are good and I'm going to experience that goodness as I wait upon you. As I operate on your timeline, not my own, David makes a request for God to lead his life, to not have his own life led by himself, but to allow God to lead it. And he talks about leading him, God, lead me on a level path. He, he wants the Lord to lead him on a sure path, not an easy path, so to speak, but a firm foundation. And that firm foundation, friends, is the goodness and the grace found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how David closes this psalm. He ends up kind of talking to himself. I love this when it happens in the, in the psalms. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. And then he says it again, reminding himself, so wait for the Lord. Waiting is one of the hardest things that we do in our Christian life. I think that's why David mentions it twice. Because <laughs> at the end of the verse, he's like, oh man, I already started not waiting. So I need to wait again. I need to remind myself to wait again. You see, I think this is the thing that we need to remind ourselves to do. How can we trust in the goodness of the Lord? We need to talk to our hearts. We need to remind our hearts who he is, just as David does at the close of this chapter. 
I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. He describes it as preaching to ourselves. And friends, I think we need to do this in times of discouragement. Listen to this. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself and say to yourself, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy the devil and the whole world, and say, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. We need to talk to our hearts. When our hearts are talking to us, casting doubt on the goodness of God, his plans for our life, his care for us, his nearness to us, let's remind ourselves to wait on the Lord, to not lose heart, to take courage, to find our confidence in him, to seek a deeper devotion to him, to cry out to him in desperation, and to believe and trust in the goodness that is found in him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that through these words, you would lift our hearts, that you would lift our heads above the circumstances, above the situations around us. And Lord, that we would get transfixed upon the beauty and the goodness and the grace of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for being the lifter of our head. Thank you, Lord, for pouring courage into our hearts. And I pray that we would continue to speak those truths over and over again when we feel pulled or when we feel drawn away or when we feel desperate for other things, let us be desperate for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.